awesome, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the victory that you won upon that cross. Victory over fear, over worry, over anxiety, over doubt. We thank you that this is what the good news is. It's a proclamation of the victory that has already been won. And Lord, we need you to speak that victory over us, to be reminded of that victory that you have won for us, on behalf of us today. As we walk this path, as we walk this journey towards freedom, truth, and healing, and love. So, Father, we just want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you for what you did upon the cross for us, that it is this and this alone that brings us the victory. So, Father, we celebrate all that you are and all that you have done, all that you're going to do. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, if I said to you, meet me at the corner of Commerce and Christian Road, just down over here, tomorrow at 7 a.m., you would probably have several questions for me. Like, what are we going to do? What am I... Do I need to wear anything in particular? Do I need to bring anything? Maybe, you know, why is anyone up before 8.30 in the morning on a holiday? Um, what time are we going to be back? There'd be a whole bunch of questions that you would want to ask if I asked you to, to meet me there. And probably depending on the answer to those questions would determine whether you were coming or not. Maybe you have something on in the afternoon and if I'm not going to answer those questions and let you know what time we'll be back, you would probably be unwilling to go. Yet as a society... We seem to be walking to a location, the intersection between two roads, without having any of these questions answered. And although no one meets us there, mentally, we just keep walking these well-worn paths to these same locations again and again and again seemingly hoping for a different outcome, hoping that maybe one day someone is going to meet us at this location. And today, as the guy said, we are starting a a four-part series called Strong Minds. Because here at Lifehouse, we believe that Jesus becoming a Christ follower doesn't just make our lives better, it should also make us better at life. So we want to Uh, have some practical tips that are going to help us walk this journey, walk this path uh, through life uh, together. But there is a battle. There is a battle that takes place over our mind, over our decision-making processes. And I think if we're in this room or we're watching online, we want to make good and godly choices. We want to make choices that are going to benefit us as individuals, that are going to benefit our families and that are going to benefit our community at large. But the problem is, is that we can't actually see the end of the path before we start off on this decision-making journey each day. So we just seem to walk the well-worn path that everyone else seems to walk, day after day, moment after moment. And this week, as we were uh, sort of, you know, preparing for this series and talking through what was happening this week, Tash kind of said to me, isn't it ironic that you're speaking on mental health and the power of the mind, and you have blue hair. Because, like, that's where your mind is. I don't know if it's kind of ironic or not, but, like, it's 
It's definitely sort of embarrassing, particularly if there's any visitors in the room. It's like, why should I listen to the guy with the blue hair about mental health? He's obviously got issues, <laughs> which I kind of do, but it has nothing to do with the blue hair. But I kind of thought, well, it is actually ironic that Tash said that because, not because of the, the blue hair, but because I think a lot of our mental health issues actually stem from the fact that although this is where our mind is, it's kind of not where it stays. That our mind wanders off down these paths, down these different, uh, you know, different little laneways, different, different places. Our mind runs away from us and we can't catch up. So our mind wanders off into all sorts of worry and fear and anxiety and depression. Because studies show that for an average person with average mental health, 91% of our thought processes is worry over things that never happen, that never eventuate. So false worry is the most well-worn path in our minds. We go and we stand on that street corner, day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute at times, waiting for bad things to arrive, waiting for bad things to, to meet us there, and 91% of the time, they never show, but we do, time and time again. So what starts off as protection, what starts off as being aware of, of current and emerging threats, which is good, which is what we need, ends up with our mind wandering off into all of these false fears unknown anxiety and untrue oppression and opposition. Now, our key verse for this series is Romans 12.2, my favorite passage. And it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Or putting it another way, using this analogy of walking down these paths, I've worded it this way. Do not follow the well-worn path, but commit to walking a new path in step with Jesus. Only His path will get you to your desired, beautiful destination, intimacy with your Heavenly Father. So every day, we have choices to make. We walk out the front gate of our mind and we see two paths. If we can have that picture up. One going to the left and one going to the right. The left path is what might be termed as Freedom Road, <coughs> which sounds good. Sounds great. Sounds like a path that we would want to go down. So that's the path that so many are going down nowadays, even though they don't know what their ultimate destination is, how long they'll be there. They haven't had any of those questions that we need answered before we should set off on that destination. They don't have any of those answered. But it's a well-worn path. And so many people are going down that path. And in the last five years, this path has become so entrenched in our society's thinking. Because it's so broad and so wide, as Jesus calls it, we can actually walk down that path without focusing. We can be on our phones the whole time 
because the path is so entrenched and so wide and so well-worn that we can follow it without concentrating. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 7. He said, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, the path to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Because I don't know if you've seen or taken notice, but roads sometimes change their name. So, like, if you go down Morris Road here, once it gets to the, um, once it intersects with Magundawa uh, Road, it, it changes its name to Highmarsh Road. And so it is with Freedom Road. Freedom Road changes when it intersects Autonomy Crescent, it changes to Lonesome Lane. But because everyone was on their phones and because it was such, started off as such a wide and easygoing path, we don't notice the name change. It feels like the same road. People start off on this journey towards freedom, but then they think, well, in order to get there, in order to get to this destination of freedom that we want to, to get to, what we actually need is autonomy, freedom of self. Whereas what we actually need is freedom from self. So we have all of these people, this, this entire self-help industry, which this year is set to make in excess of $46 billion saying, meet us at the corner. Meet us at the corner of freedom and autonomy without knowing who's going to meet us there, how long we're going to be there, when we're going to be back. And without knowing, most importantly, what lies on the other side is loneliness. Autonomy is just leading us towards this lonesome lane, which is one of our most feared streets to be down. So we see all of these people heading off to the left, thinking that tolerance and deconstructionism and just trusting your own heart and your own feelings above all else is the path to travel down. That to end up at the destination of true freedom, they need freedom from the oppression of the establishment. Freedom from intolerant bigotry. Freedom from an oppressive Old Testament God. Freedom from any set of rules or moral laws because freedom can only come when, those, when there are no laws, there are no rules, because that kind of ends in us feeling guilt and shame. So we need to deconstruct all those things. But the problem with this way of thinking, heading down this left path towards towards what is promised to be freedom, is that it's not actually the rules or the laws or the authority figures like God and the church, but sin that causes us to have those feelings of guilt and shame. So when we remove all the rules, when we remove all the laws, and we remove all of the establishments and, and authority figures... It does nothing to remove sin. In fact, it emboldens sin and enables sin. And so now we are left with even more feelings of guilt and shame without any way to deal with it. 
particularly because we've gone down this road and we're saying we don't follow truth, we only follow feelings, which works okay if you're feeling happiness, if you're feeling pleasure, if you're feeling superiority, which often people going down the left don't want to admit that they like to feel. But what happens when you don't feel those things? What happens when instead you feel the opposite? You feel sorrow, you feel pain, you feel inferiority. Once you've walked down that path, once you've said, I need to, I need to be free, and so I need to be free from God because we all still have to follow a God of some kind, now all of a sudden our God, our little G-God, has become our feelings. And so with no outside input, with no one down this lonesome lane, without any outside input, all we have is our feelings. And our feelings, if they're bad lead us to a place where we don't want to be we have nothing higher to appeal to no pathway back from those emotions so the dead end of sorrow's path is despair and depression the dead end of pain's path is hopelessness and suicide the dead end of inferiority's path is anxiety and isolation. Then we kind of go, how could a good and loving God allow so much hurt and pain in our world? Without realizing God never wanted us to walk down this path in the first place. We chose to walk down that path because it promised freedom without control, without God. And because we turned left, we walked away from God and we ended up at a dead end without hope. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, We are demolishing arguments and ideas. Every high and mighty philosophy like this one that I'm just talking about, that pits itself against the knowledge of the one true God. We are taking prisoners of every thought, every emotion, and subduing them into obedience to the Anointed One, which is Jesus Christ. So having a strong mind is about kind of taking note taking note of when our mind does start to wander down those unwanted paths. Long before it gets to the dead end, but the moment moment that we start to notice that we're walking down that path towards isolation. And it says to take those thoughts, those emotions captive and bring them to obedience to Christ. So notice if you've had any thoughts like this before, because this is sort of the, the isolationist path that we tend to walk down. They are against me. They would be better off without me. It doesn't matter whether I'm here or not. I am the only one that thinks like this. I'm crazy. I'm unlovable as I am and so I can't let anybody see who I really am, what I really think or what I really feel because if they saw me, they would reject me. Notice any of those thought patterns in our own life that our mind has started to wander off towards that isolationist viewpoint 
91% of those thoughts are false. 91% of our fears are false, will never come to pass. And so that kind of isolationist thinking needs to be taken captive before it can run away, before our mind starts to run down that path. I love the language that is used here. This language of taking things captive. You see, it's not the elimination or the obliteration of these things. Nor is it a denial of our thoughts, of our emotions. It is simply taking them captive. And something that that is captive can't just choose to go wherever it pleases. And I think that this is encouraging for us because we need to know that even as a Christian, you're still going to feel sorrow. You're still going to have times of pain. You're still going to have feelings of inferiority, of, of not being good enough, of not measuring up. So let me tell you very clearly now, if you have ever felt this way or you are feeling this way now, that does not make you a bad Christian. It does not make you not a Christian. It does not mean that you just need to grit your teeth and have more faith and be better and do better. But also, it says that we are not just helpless victims to our thoughts and to our emotions. But that as Christians, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can take those thoughts captive before they run off towards that dead end. That we're actually to, to turn that, that full stop at the end of the dead end into a comma. To know and understand that this feeling is not the end. It is just a season. And this season of feeling this way will come to an end, but you won't. So, instead of then thinking, well, we need to go to the left, maybe we think we should go to the right. And so the right path, we can have that picture back up again, starts off in totally the opposite direction towards freedom, and this is called truth, the truth parade. So where the left promised to us freedom through the removal of absolute truth and ended in the dead end of loneliness lane with fear, anxiety and pain, the right path, truth parade, promises the opposite. But when truth parade crosses over with Pride Cove, it turns into Anxiety Alley. Now, freedom like truth is a good thing. But when we try and walk down truth parade in our own strength, thinking that we can hold truth and that whatever decision that we make has to be the right one, has to, we have to walk down this particular path and we, so we, you know, we can even come to church and pray and seek the will of God to give us the right choice to make so that then we can just walk off down this truth path all by ourselves. We can make every decision right so that we can prove everybody else wrong. But that still leads to anxiety as we walk down that well-worn path of feeling the pressure to perform, feeling the pressure to always get everything right in our own strength because if we get one thing wrong, if we've looked down upon everyone else that made that bad wrong moral choice and everyone else that walked down the left path and see how bad they are, and say, this is the consequence of your choices, 
this is the consequence of your actions, that then we need to kind of make sure that our actions are always going to be right. But who knows that they're not? We live in a fallen world with fallen minds and deceitful hearts. So we're not going to make every decision right. Truth should never walk alone. Ephesians 4 says this, Speaking the truth in love. So we are to speak the truth, but it needs to be in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Truth isn't the head. Christ is the head. From whom the whole body, that's us, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in truth? No. Built up in love. So truth should never, ever walk alone. We always need to walk in love. And when it comes to having a strong mind, we should never walk alone. This is what this passage is saying, that we need to walk with one another. We are part of a body. That yes, Christ is the head of that body and he's the one that's going to make the choices and he's the one that's going to make the decisions and he's the one that should lead us down this path or that path. And when we let him lead, not truth, but when we let the one who is truth lead then we're not going to be in this place of performance and anxiety and end up in the exact same place as the people who walked down the left path ended up in the first place. Because despite what modern psychology says, there is no such thing as self-love. True love Eternal love can only exist to love things outside of ourself. Because selfishness, self-centeredness and self-love cannot exist within love itself. We need each other and we need Jesus. 1 John 4 verse 18 says this, we need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what he might do to us. But isn't that where we go to? Isn't that the path that we go down when we try to follow truth? Like we, we're in dread of what might happen if we get stuff wrong, if we make truth our God. But Jesus isn't like that. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what he might do to us and shows that we are not fully convinced that he really loves us. So my beautiful job today to help you have a strong mind is to simply reveal the fact that if you've got fear, if you've got worry, if you've got anxiety, it means that there's more to the love of God than what you realized. There's more. You might have heard of God's love, you might have even received a bit of God's love, but if there's, if there's still fear, if there's worry, if there's anxiety, if, the, if these things still exist within your life, then the beautiful truth is, Jesus loves you more than you realize right now. That he's actually not going to condemn you for making the wrong choice, for walking down the wrong path, for not doing everything exactly right. He already knew that there would be times when we do go down the wrong path, which is exactly why he sent Jesus in the first place. Yeah. 
This is the beautiful truth that we need to come to understand. We all have times of darkness in our lives. We can either try to fight the darkness on our own, but the problem with that is, no matter how good a fighter you might be, you can't beat your own shadow. So the solution to those shadows that may be haunting us, those dark places where we think that we don't want anyone else to see, that we keep trying to fight but that remain there, the solution is to switch the light on. That Jesus is the light. But that also, He calls us to be the light. He encourages us, let your light shine before men, before one another. That you actually get to shine the light of God's truth and God's love with the people in our community that maybe have wandered off down those wrong paths. That have, maybe that they have been trying to fight those, those shadows, trying to fight their own, their own demons, trying to fight those things. But we can say to them, stop striving. Stop trying to get everything right in your own strength. Stop beating the air. And let's come and let's switch the light of God's truth and His grace on. And one of the best ways to do that is through knowing our identity. Knowing who we are in Christ. And one of the ways that has been attacked very much from both the left and the right that I think is contributing so much to our poor state of mental health as a society has to do with this idea of knowing our identity but, in spe but specifically knowing and celebrating the differences in love with what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and what marriage actually is between a man and a woman. And this was made evident to me through the last fight that Belinda and I had with each other. So I made a decision against something that Belinda wanted. Then she said something that disrespected me, uh, or so I felt as a husband. And so after a day or so of feeling like I was this victim of her disrespect, of her not loving me, I realized that her reaction was not based on her disrespect, was not based on her not loving me, as my feelings, those 91% false feelings were, were telling me, were trying to lead me off down this victim path, but that they were actually based on her feelings of fear and anxiety. Now, if I can get Belinda to come up here. Not to apologise, it's all right. <laughs> Just to illustrate what is taking place. So, there's this whole ideology, this whole thing that's going on within mental health but within society at the moment that basically says that in order for Belinda to walk left and towards freedom, she needs to walk towards me, but I, as a white male, am blocking her path. I am the oppressor and I am blocking her path towards freedom, which is the way that she wants to walk. So the only way for her to be able to move towards that place of freedom with me here is if I bow down. And so this is what we see in society taking place at the moment. Everyone that thinks that left way of thinking basically says anyone that is the oppressor, anyone that has blocked anyone's ability 
to, towards freedom, whether that be racism, sexism, any of those kind of things. The only solution is the one that was holding the power, the one that was blocking, needs to bow so that she can walk to the left. But this is not good for my mental health. So then, those that are thinking, right, will basically say, well, I'm the man, I'm the head of the house, this is the truth, and now she is blocking my path, my, me walking towards the truth, that I need to be in control, that I need to be the boss, and so she needs to, she needs to bow. That's right. She needs to bow so that I can walk through to take my place on the right-hand side as this place of power and authority that I was always supposed to have. So this is the two philosophies that people have. And so then when we get into a fight, if you can stand up, it's basically like we're each protecting our path and we're each trying to get through. And so a fight happens when we stand here and we try to protect our ground and we try to protect our path and neither of us can get to our desired destination. She's blocking my goal, he's blocking my goal. This is the way that we think. We think that we need our purpose and that the purpose lies on the other side of the person. But let's have a look at what the Bible has to say. No, no, no. You're going to be a submissive obedient way. You're going to stay here because we we still got more to we still got more to go. We're going to see what <laughs> we're going to see what what the Bible has to say. So Ephesians five, twenty four to twenty five says this. So wives should submit to their husbands. Do you want me to go? No, no. <laughs> Respectfully and in all things, just as the church yields to the anointed one, husbands. You must love your wives so deeply, purely and sacrificially that we can only understand it when we compare it to the love the anointed one has for his bride, the church. So, what this means is, so it is saying that you are to bow down in submission but what's it saying to me? That I need to lay my life down in submission and in love for her. So, is the man to lead? Is this his purpose? Yes. But from this position. From this position of humility, from this position of service. This is how Jesus led. He washed feet. He touched lepers. He was a friend of sinners. This is how Jesus led. And so men, if we are going to lead, we need to lead from this position of laying our life down. And women need to be submissive and show respect to the man. Now, this was, there's kind of, often in a fight, there's two battles going on. There's the one where we're standing and fighting and protecting our ground, but there's often a second battle that's going on, which is a battle over our minds, over our, our rightful place, our rightful position. And actually, when when we were fighting, there was, we didn't raise our voices, we didn't shout and yell, there was no swearing, there was no physical abuse of any kind, but there was still a battle that was going on. And we were actually in these positions, but for the wrong reasons. So I was lying down as the victim. I thought, I'm the victim, she's disrespecting me, all of this stuff is happening, and she's taken away my authority, my position to be able to lead. So I'm lying down as the victim. But then she was bowing down, but as I said, I recognised that she was actually bowing down to fear and to worry and to anxiety. And so neither of those two things 
we're right. But this, this passage of Scripture is so beautiful and we get so hung up on the idea of the submission thing that we actually neglect to see that it actually celebrates the difference between men and women and what we need. Because men, above all else, need respect. And women, above all else, need love. And who better to give that than the other person? This is why, why God has designed marriage. Okay, we can get up and you can go back to your seat. <laughs> so left thinking takes away the respect of the man and right thinking takes away the love of the woman. We can even see these roles, these beautiful roles, the difference between the two in the creation account between Adam and Eve and then the consequence of sin. So like every good preacher, I'm going to use alliteration to help you remember this during your next fight with your spouse. So I've called it naming and nurturing. Men's original role, their original position, the posture that they were to have in creation was in naming. Now, for those of you that know the creation account, know that Adam was to name all the animals. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, when God created the echidna to basically mess with the evolutionists and basically say, you know, it's, it has a beak, but it's not a bird, it lays eggs, but it's not a reptile, it feeds milk to its young, but it's not a mammal, it's covered in hair, but it's spiky. And so God said, ha-ha, evolutionists, deal with that. But now that I've made it, I don't know what to call it. A Adam, c come here, what do you think I should name this thing? And Adam looked and scratched his head and sneezed. <laughs> And God's like, I knew I made you for something. <laughs> That's not really how it worked. In Israelite culture, when you got to name something, you got to shape its future. You got to speak out who it was and what it was designed to do. And so, it was to, also, it was to bring order to the chaos this is what men were designed to do. They're designed to name things, to bring order to the chaos. And so this is why when sin came into the world and God said, now you're, you're going to you know, work by the sweat of your brow, there's going to be thorns and thistles. In other words, it's going to be hard for you to bring order to the chaos. The woman's role was, as it says in the original text, was to be a helper. But again, this word is now lost its meaning to us because, you know, we might think of a helper like, you know, when, you know, school holidays coming up and maybe you've got a little six-year-old and you say, do you want to come and, and be my helper and help me cook? But you sort of you're cooking and you just just stand over there, you, you know you're messing. Just stand, just you're my helper, but just be out of the way. This is not the word helper that God is using over women in the Bible. This word helper is also used of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the most powerful change agent in the universe. And the Holy Spirit is the comforter and the counsellor. And so a more full meaning of what this word is, I'm using this term nurture. That this is the role of the woman. And so when sin came into the world, her job of being a mother, of being nurturing, was also made harder. It was part of the consequence of sin. And so whether you're 
a mother or not, if you are female, you are called to nurture. If you're a male, whether you're a husband or a father or not, you are called to name. So, men we are to name. We are to see creation as God saw it. He saw that it was good. And so we're to call out the goodness in our wives, in our kids. We're to call that out. And women, you are to love and care and nurture for all creation. Now, in the original sin, I've mentioned this one time before, but Adam actually failed to name his wife Eve until after the fall. He gave her the generic name of woman, but he did not give her her specific name, Eve, until it was too late. But because she was not named, she then had this place of fear where she didn't know her name, she didn't know her place. She felt unloved, in fear, in chaos. And in uncertainty. So then in that place of fear and uncertainty, she took on Adam's role and she named something. She named the fruit good when it was not. So husbands, fathers, it starts with you. Name the good in your wife. Name the good in your children. See what God sees and call it out of them. Wives, mothers, don't take on the man's role of naming. Because if you mislabel in fear, in anxiety, you will end up leading yourself and others down the wrong path. Your path is to nurture in love. This is how our fight was resolved. I named Belinda's fear for what it was, took up my role again, not as victim, but as namer. I called out the good in her. I said, I know that you don't disrespect me. I know even though my thoughts and my emotions are taking me down this path, I'm taking those thoughts captive and I'm helping you and I'm labeling you as loving, as, as nurturing. Now, if you're a single or a single parent and you are worried that you have to do both roles or that something is missing, this is why God wants us to live in a community, in a family, as a, as a body. This is what the church is, the beautiful bride of Christ with Christ as the head. Because in life homes, at house youth, at life kids, you and your children should be in a place where they have their futures called out, where they are named and they know who they are. And church should also be a place where we receive of that nurture, that love that maybe you haven't yet received or didn't receive from a marriage relationship. So only when the cross is the center, everything else finds its rightful place and rightful purpose. When the cross is the center, we don't need to wander off to the right in search of truth. We don't need to wander off to the left in search of freedom. At the cross, freedom and truth collide. At the cross, we are named beloved, and at the cross, we are nurtured as adopted children. At the cross, love and grace collide. A strong mind is not a journey without a destination. It is simply being found at the foot of the cross. Would you stand as we pray? I didn't know how to end this. And I found this beautiful passage 
of Scripture. And it's your role to help take your thoughts captive. I can't do it for you. The Holy Spirit is here. He's in the room and he's empowering you to do it. But I think this scripture kind of sums up everything. So I, I just want to read it and then allow us to pray or worship or respond however you feel the Holy Spirit leading you. Allow him to take you down the path that he wants to take you towards the cross. It's Philippians 4, verses 4 to 8. It says, Rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. It's interesting that they have found that within the brain, the area where fear and anxiety operates from and the area where gratitude operates from is the exact same part of the brain and only one thing can operate there at a time. So if you are in a place of fear or worry or anxiety, if you do what this passage says, if we rejoice in the Lord, this is turning the light on. This is not allowing fear and, and worry and anxiety because the two things can't dwell in the same place at the same time. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Those that are in that place of anxiety right now, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This is what we're going to do right now. You're going to present your request to God in thanksgiving. And I'm believing that anxiety is going to melt away, that fear is going to melt away. And the peace of God, which transcends or is above and beyond all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. You don't have to guard your heart and your mind. The peace of God is here. And the peace of God is going to guard your heart and mind. When your heart and mind wants to wander down that dead end path, when it starts to run away from you, call upon the peace of God. He will guard your heart. This is the promise of God. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, which to me sounds only like Jesus, think about such things. Let's do that now, church.